Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So now God is looking at his servant Abraham, and he sees that Abraham has arrived in the valley of the king of Sodom, right into the spider's web, and the spider, the king of Sodom, now is going out for the kill. And God sees all this, and he says, quick, send another king to Abraham, and strength to strengthen Abraham. And so he doesn't fall by accepting this devilish proposal from the king. So all of a sudden, we have before us now the, the before us, this king of Salem, because of the king of Salem, and he comes in, verse 17, before the king of Sodom even speaks, he comes in. And our first question is, and I know everybody asks this question, who is this Melchizedek king of Salem? Uh, he, just, he just appears out of nowhere. And the book of Hebrews makes a big deal of how mysterious his entrance is. It says in Hebrews 7, 1 through 3, that he, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, he met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a part, and so forth. And then it says, he is without father, he is without mother, he is without descent, neither having beginning of days, nor end of days, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the king priest forever. So the pattern we are used to, as we've been studying in the book of Genesis, has been to introduce a person by telling us who his father was, and sometimes who his mother was, and so-and-so was the son of so-and-so, who was the son of so-and-so, and his mother was so-and-so, and he lived so many years, and maybe he was born when his father was so-and-so years old, etc. But now, not Melchizedek, not Melchizedek. All of a sudden, in verse 18, Melchizedek just appears on the pages of Genesis, and we don't know who his father is, and we don't know who his mother is, or was, And we don't know when he was born, and we don't know when he died. He just appears, and there's a lot of questions, and there's a lot of speculation as to who Melchizedek is. Some say he's the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. And you may not be sure this morning and wondering, who is he? So I'll tell you who he is. I don't know. (laughs) But for the purposes that we're going to see him in this morning, it doesn't matter all those things to his mother's father. Because we're looking at Melchizedek for what it says about him in Genesis, where we are. Not for what it does not say about him. We have enough trouble reading the lines of the Bible, which are clearly there, without trying to read between the lines of the Bible. There's enough for us trying to just to read the lines without trying to read between the lines. So the first thing we see is that right after this verse 17, where the king of Sodom goes out to meet Abraham... And before the king of Sodom speaks to Abraham, Melchizedek comes out to meet Abraham. That's precious. That's precious because it shows that God is monitoring very closely what's happening to Abraham. And he sees when Abraham needs this little boost of encouragement. So he sends Melchizedek. It's very encouraging for us because verse 18 the coming of Melchizedek shows that God is monitoring our lives. He's watching our lives very closely. And the Lord Jesus Christ knows personally what we are going through. And he sees when we 
Like Abraham, we just need a little boost of encouragement, and he sends us a little of Melchizedek. And when we're really in a low state, or about to face a new trial that we don't even know about, and we need that encouragement booster, God says, he's, he prompts another Christian to call us, on the, go visit us, call us on the phone, and have a little talk that encourages us. What's that? That's God sending us a Melchizedek. And we really appreciate the Melchizedeks in our lives. They are such an encouragement to us. God bless the Melchizedeks that God sends. And God wants us to be a Melchizedek in someone's life. He wants us to be sensitive, like Melchizedek was, to God prodding us. Go be a Melchizedek and give that person a call. Encourage them. Go visit that person just to encourage him. And you know who who the people are that really, really need a Melchizedek visit? People in the hospital. People in the hospital. They really need a Melchizedek. They need a Melchizedek visit. There's this nurse who was reported recently, a believer in a hospital. And what he does is he goes around and he looks into the eyes of his patients and he sings songs. Now, for some of us, that may not be encouraging. <laughs> but for him, it's encouraging. <laughs> he sings songs. He sings songs like Smile and so forth. And then he sings you know, songs like Amazing Grace. And he sings for How Great Thou Art. And the patients love him so much, they request him by name. Maybe they request him by song, too. I don't know. But <laughs> what is that nurse doing as, he's sing- as he is singing to the patients? That nurse is being a little Melchizedek for his patients. And, and now, at Grossmont Sharp Hospital, you know where I work, and at all the Sharp Hospitals, we have a program called the 11th Hour Program, where you can sign up. Anybody can sign up, and if there's a patient who's dying, and there's no one with that patient, the hospital will call you, and you go there, and you can be a little Melchizedek, encouraging that person as they leave this earth. You know, I remember when Mike Hainer was at the hospital in Tijuana, and there was no one with him. And it looked like he was going to leave the earth, and he did. And I couldn't get down there. His family couldn't get down there because they didn't have passports. So Diana Huerta, Huerta and Takati was calling people to go to Tijuana to be with him. And Diana's 19-year-old daughter, Bebe, a medical student in Mexicali, heard her mother calling and when she was in the office, and Bebe said to her mother, Mother, I will go. I will go. And so she all alone, Bebe went, and she's several hours, she sat in Mike's room, and we said, we said, Bebe, what did you do? She said, I held his hand, I read him scriptures, I prayed for him, and I sang hymns to him. Oh, that's nice. She was a Melchizedek during that time as he passed from this life on to the next one. So, from this passage, we can learn how we can be a little Melchizedek. First, we see his title. He was in verse 18, Genesis 14, 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem. He was the king of Salem. He was the king of Shalom. He was the king of peace. Melchizedek was all about peace. Abraham's first encounter was with the opposite. He was, that was with the king of Sodom. And to meet the king of Sodom was very disturbing. And the king of Sodom epitomized no peace. Why? Because he epitomized wickedness. And the king of Sodom is described in Isaiah 57, 20 through 21, where it says, 
The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot, doesn't have the ability, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. So the king of Sodom is wicked, and he was like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. And just for Abraham to be around this person, the king of Sodom, was disturbing. It's disturbing for anyone, disturbing for Abraham. So when Melchizedek comes as the king of peace, it was such a relief to Abraham because he brought peace. He felt, and Abraham felt peace. And if we want to be little Melchizedeks, then we need to be kings of peace. We need to be all about peace. A little king of peace has, first of all, peace with God and helps others to have peace with God. As it says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that we have peace with God because we have come and received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, as our peace. He is our peace. And that means that God justified us by faith, and the Lord Jesus Christ then gives us a wonderful gift. He says, here, and he gives us the peace of God. As Aaron was taught in the great ironic blessing that he was to bless the Jewish people with in Numbers 6.26, and among many things that he said, he said, the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And David, king of Israel, taught us that peace the peace of God is a blessing that God gives. In Psalm 29, 11, the Lord, the Lord will bless his people with peace. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself told us that this peace of God is something that he gives, and it's his peace. It's the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So after we have peace with God, and God gives us that peace, peace with God, and God gives us the peace of God, then that peace of God stands as a guard, a garrison over our hearts, where it says in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God, which passes understanding, shall keep or garrison your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So a little Melchizedek is a king of peace who's saved, has the peace of God, and helps others to be saved and make peace with God. And then a little Melchizedek helps them then receive the peace of God. Now, next thing we see here in verse 18, we learned about this from, is that this little Melchizedek was bringing a boost of encouragement because he said he brought forth bread and wine. Now, I know a lot of people try to read into the bread and wine, especially brethren persuasion, that Maybe Melchizedek set up a little table with the elements out there in the valley and had a real breaking of the bread, and maybe all the women covered their heads, I don't know. But since we're not reading between the lines, let's just say, look at it on the surface. The man was exhausted. He was tired, so feed him already. That's what he did. He feed him. He encouraged him by taking food. That's my problem. I take in too much encouragement. <laughs> a few years back when I was in the hospital with my cancer, and I was on high doses of steroids, and some dear people came to visit me, and they asked me, what can we do for you? What do you want? What can we bring you? And I said, Snickers, Snicker bars, you know, <laughs> and I hid those Snickers under, from the nurses, you know. Well, the one thing about steroids is that they make your sugar not controllable, see? So my blood sugar shot way up, 
And, you know, you can't have sugar when you're on steroids. Uh, but anyway, and, and the nurses come running in the room with the insulin, and they were saying, Mr. Cantor, your sugar is way too high. And I told them, no, no, no. I said, I just proved the truth of what the Bible says in Numbers 32, 23, and be sure your Snickers will find you out. <laughs> anyway, but Melchizedek could see that before anything else, Abraham needed bread and wine. He was, he was just hungry and thirsty. All right. Next, it says that he, the next thing we can learn about how we can be a little Melchizedek is stated in verse 18 that he was the priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek's job, his goal, his, he, when he looked at himself, he said, I am a priest. I do the work of a priest. That was Melchizedek's life work. He wanted to be an effective priest of God. A priest is a person who represents people to God, whereas a prophet is the person who represents God to the people. The work of a priest is to pray. That's what the priest does. And when you look at what Melchizedek is doing in verses 19 and 20, those are the words of his prayer. That's what he's praying. He's praying to God. And so to be a little Melchizedek means that we have to be a priest. We have to be all about being a priest. People of prayer... We have to know how to pray, not liturgically in vain repetition of Christianese, but what the Bible calls fervent prayer, passionate prayer from the heart. We have to know how to engage the need of man with God's Bible, with God's scriptures. Now, verse 19, and the next thing we learn about how to be alone, Melchizedek, is what Melchizedek did. It says here, he blessed him, 19 and 20, and he said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed, blessed be the Most High God, which had delivered thy name in thine hand, and he gave him tithes of all. So what Melchizedek did was to bless Abraham. And if we're going to be a little, little Melchizedek, we need to know how to bless people. And a conversation, with to be a little Melchizedek, and to have a conversation with another one, is going to bless someone whether that conversation takes place with a visit or a phone call, it doesn't matter, if it goes in a direction other than, so how are you doing? Okay? That, that, if that's the end all of the conversation, that's not going to be a blessing. But Melchizedek shows us how to manage the conversation to become a blessing. Because to bless Abraham, Melchizedek is not saying to Abraham, so how are you doing, Abraham? To bless Abraham, Melchizedek is managing the conversation so that the topic is all about God. And Melchizedek is talking about the following topics. Verse 19, topic number one, Abraham's blessing comes only from God. Verse 19, topic number two, that the God who blesses Abraham is the most high God. Topic number three in verse 19, that the God who blesses Abraham is the possessor of heaven and earth. And topic number four in verse 20, that the most high God who blessed Abraham and delivered Abraham's enemies into his own hand. And those are the topics of the conversation. And that's a blessing. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham by managing the conversation and talking to Abraham about God. And that's what God wants to see in our conversations. And time's a little short, so I'm going to just quote it for you in Malachi 3.16, where it says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him. For them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. See, in that verse, believers who were speaking to each other were called those that feared the Lord. And then it says that God was monitoring. See, every problem with the NSA? <laughs> God monitors all the conversations, as he does here. 
That was supposed to be funny. Nobody really, I mean, it doesn't matter. All right. It says the Lord hearkened. He heard it. And God was so happy with what he heard that they were talking about, he decided to do what my wife does. You know what my wife does? When, when she talks to somebody on the phone, you can't see her, but she gets a notebook out. She takes notes. Anyway, God was so happy with what the believers were talking about that he told his angels, go get a book and be like my wife. He says, go get a book, write down what they are talking about. And God then gave the book a, a name called the Book of Remembrance. And God liked it so much, what those believers were talking about, that he wanted that the Book of Remembrance should be written down right in front of him, before him. And the key to what those believers were talking about was found in the last part of that verse where it says, they thought upon his name. They thought upon his name. Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So their heart was filled with thinking about the name of God. And so to be a little Melchizedek and bless others, our hearts have to be filled with thoughts about God. We got to have all, we got to have something cooking on all four burners of our heart. Something cooking on all four. And in the morning during the wonderful time when we open both our Bibles and our heart before God to receive, that should be the time when food goes on the four burners of the heart. It's all cooking away. And we're thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about him. And we talk about him. We bless others. That's how Melchizedek blessed Abraham, by talking about God. And that's how we bless others as the little Melchizedeks, by talking about God. But Melchizedek applied some very specific ointment to Abraham's aching heart. We know that Abraham was subject to fear. We know he was afraid of Pharaoh. Later on, he's going to be afraid of Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. Abraham has a, this issue. But Abraham, maybe Abraham was also thinking about, you know, it's one thing to go conquer them on the surprise, but what if those kings regrouped themselves in Syria? I didn't exactly make friends with them, and they come after me. We don't know. So the first ointment or medicine that Melchizedek applies to Abraham's heart is an emphasis of how God is the Most High God. Notice how twice Melchizedek emphasized to Abraham in verses 19 and 20 that God was the Most High God. And by saying that to Abraham, Melchizedek was saying to Abraham to take his eyes off the kings who seemed so high to him. And he's saying to Abraham, instead put your eyes on the Most High God. And furthermore, we learned from verse 22 that Abraham, we wouldn't know this, but we learned in verse 22 that Abraham lifted up his hands to God. He had already done this. Abraham already made a vow to God. He was going to give everything he recovered back to the king of Sodom. And so naturally, Abraham's heart is feeling a little empty with that. I mean, he has nothing to show. He's carried all this stuff back from Syria across the country. And now he has to watch the king of, of sin take it all. But one minute he has all the possessions. Next minute, because of his vow, he has none of the possessions. And so he's feeling the loss of the possessions. So Melchizedek then applies a little special ointment medicine to Abraham's heart. And at the end of verse 19, Melchizedek calls God the possessor. You're worried about your possessions, Abraham? God is the possessor of heaven and earth. Abraham really needed that word. It was a perfect word for Abraham. It, the empty way that Abraham was feeling at that time was seeing all the, he, his possessions that he had brought back, carried with, back, risked his life for. He really needed to hear that God was the possessor of heaven and earth. So when Mel, Melchizedek says that to Abraham... Abraham, Melchizedek had this, had this gift that he could say that. He had a wonderful gift. In Isaiah 54, where it says, The Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. 
He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. And while Melchizedek emphasized to Abraham that God was the possessor of heaven and earth, that was Melchizedek having the word in season to Abraham. The word in season to him that was weary, otherwise known as Abraham. Where do we get the word in season for him that is weary? By letting God waken us morning by morning to hear as the learned. Where? In our morning quiet times, God may give us a word that is for someone else. Not for ourselves, but someone else, but he'll impress it upon us. It's a word in season. It's a word for someone else. And, and how do we know that the word, the word of calling God the possessor of heaven and earth was just what Abraham needed? Because look at verse 22. When Abraham stood up against the king of Sodom, Abraham repeated the word in season that Melchizedek had planted in his heart, had put in his mouth. He took the very words of Melchizedek and used it to tell the king of Sodom who God was and why he could give up all that he had. Because the God of Abraham was the possessor of heaven and earth. Isn't that just a tremendous word? Or tremendous what we read there in, in verse 22. When we see Abraham turn from Melchizedek, who had just taught him the wonderful title for God, the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. And we can picture the... Picture the whole scene. Just look at it. Picture it very clearly in our minds. We see Abraham. Who is he? He's the one. He is him that is weary from Isaiah 50, verse 4. We see weary Abraham standing with an open heart in front of his friend, Melchizedek. And in Abraham, we see ourselves, and we are the him that is weary from Isaiah 50, verse 4. And in Abraham standing with an open heart in front of his friend, Melchizedek, we see our weary selves in our morning quiet times with God. And in our quiet time, we stand weary with an open heart before our friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Melchizedek. And then we see Melchizedek, Abraham's friend, planting in Abraham's heart a title for God that Abraham is going to be in need of. God, the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. And then we see Abraham smile with this new title for God in his heart, planted there by Melchizedek. And we see Abraham walking away with his meeting with Melchizedek, and we see Abraham thinking about the new title for God he's just learned. And he's leaving Melchizedek, and we see Abraham fascinated with the new title for God. And he's leaving Melchizedek, and we see Abraham captivated with the new title for God. He's leaving Melchizedek, and we see Abraham enthralled with the new title for God. And then we see, next, we see Abraham encounter the king of Sodom, the enemy of God. And he makes a proposal to Abraham. And Abraham has to answer the enemy of God. But Abraham's weary. And what is Abraham going to say to the enemy of God? He's weary. He's tired. How is he going to respond to the enemy of God? We see something amazing happen. As it says in Mark 13, 11, it happened with Abraham. When Abraham meets the king of Sodom, we see that Abraham just said, without taking any thought, without premeditating, he spoke what was given to him. Because it was not Abraham that spoke. It was the Spirit of God speaking through Abraham. That's a picture of us in our lives. We are Abraham. We meet with our friend Melchizedek. God gives us during that time a word from him, it fascinates us, it captivates us, it enthralls us. We think about it, and we walk through our day having no idea. But then all of a sudden, a challenge meets us. We're weary, we're tired. And what do we respond with? The words that our friend, our Melchizedek, gave us in the morning. 
And then we think to ourselves, I didn't have to think. I didn't have to premeditate. I just gave what was given to me. In fact, it wasn't even me that was speaking. It was the Holy Spirit. That's the application for us as we look here at Abraham meeting his friend Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Lord, what a friend we have in Jesus. Lord, Melchizedek was a friend to Abraham, and you are our friend. Melchizedek taught Abraham about God, and you teach us about God. Melchizedek strengthened Abraham for his challenge, and you strengthen us for our challenge. We thank you, Lord, for this picture. Help us to not only to know these things, but to take time to meet with our Melchizedek. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator, and I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.